So if you want to turn to Thessalonians, we're getting right near to the end of it. And um, as I was looking at these, at these verses for this week, I was just, they're just three almost like shotgun blasts, quick things that Paul has to say to the Thessalonians. And I was thinking about those things. You might have seen, we put it on Facebook Friday. Those things your parents would just kind of blurt out to you as you went out the door. You know, don't forget to pick up your brother. Don't forget to, you know, don't forget to go to the grocery store. Don't forget when you, you know, if you were the teenage driver, it was typically your father. Don't forget to put gas in the car. Don't forget, this was one I'm so thankful my mom never said, especially in front of my friends. If you're a millennial, you're going to be really thankful you're a millennial. Because I want to see how many of you had parents that would say this. Some parents would say, as they're going out the door, do you have clean underwear on? How many, yeah, how many of you, yeah, I could not believe that. And I finally asked somebody, well, what is up with that? And they said, oh, so if you get in an accident or something bad happens and you have to go to the ER, you have clean underwear on. I'm just thinking, you know, you know how I think if you've been here a while, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. My, um, my arm is broken. Who cares if I have clean underwear on, you know? I mean, well, it could make me look bad. Who cares how you look? I'm in pain here. Those things that, yeah, that they blurred out. That, in the, that generation was very much a generation of how did things make them look. And so that was, wow, so a whole lot to unpack there. But just those things that your parents would just say to you or, or you say to your kids, this was one that I, when I became a parent of adult children, all of a sudden I had a much greater appreciation for call me when you get home. Because man, you know, something bad might happen to you and I can't believe that I've suddenly become my mother. <laughs> you know, because I did, I, I did. When Joy and Mark were old and older and they moved away, I called my mom, she was still alive. I said, I just want to apologize for all those times we forgot and called you like three hours later when we only lived an hour away. Because you just get into that. And Joy and Mark, you know, it's about three and three quarters if things are good. They've got a couple kids, so they got to stop. So that's probably, you know, I'll give you four and a quarter. And then four and a quarter, it is just kind of that. Some of you, you're with me. You're just kind of, huh. Should we call? Should we just check? You don't want to be that parent. Could you just say, how's the drive? And then it doesn't really look like you're wondering, are you home or are you in a ditch somewhere? So those things, you just say them as people go. This, these couple of verses that we're in in Thessalonians, they're kind of like Paul's, his little things that he's just shouting out to them as maybe the guys that are with him, Timothy, that he says in, in chapter one, verse one, before they say, Paul, we gotta go. We gotta go, wrap it up because we've gotta go on our way. And so say what you've gotta say. And so here's his, here's his blurting out to the to the. Uh, Thessalonians. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, and today we're in 16 through 18, just those couple of verses. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Bam, bam, bam. There. In fact, one of these is the shortest verse in the Bible. You have Jesus wept, that's the shortest English verse, but rejoice always, shortest Greek, Greek verse. Just these three things that, that he just blurts out to them, he puts out to them in light of everything that they've been through and their shared history together and, and where they're at and what's going on right now in, in their life and in their world. This is the, what you need to do. You need to always rejoice. You need to pray without stopping. And, and you need to give thanks in everything. This is God's will for your life. And 
people wrestle with, I don't know what God's will is for me. And so we talked earlier in Thessalonians, there's just a few places where he comes right out and says, this is my will. And here's one, these three things. You know, you make your way through Thessalonians, and I was thinking, this, their story, is, as we see it in the letter, is kind of, you made it. You, you made it into the kingdom, and you have this story of coming to Jesus from idols. He says, you've turned to serve the living God from idols. And so you, you made it, and then, then there's this question that he had, but are you still making it? And so he said he sent Timothy to them to find out how they're doing, and now Timothy's just come back and told me you're doing really good, and you're going to make it. And so he talks about the rapture and Jesus coming for his own and taking us to be with him. And, and now he's saying to them, you can make it. That, that I'm still not, I'm not planning to come back there right away. And you're still got a lot of pressure on your faith in Jesus. And there's a lot of trouble, but you can make it. And, and we're in these verses where he's saying, how can you make it? How is it you can make it when the times are really troubling? which kind of settles down on us. But aside from the whole political thing and COVID thing, for some of us in the family, this is just a really difficult time, certainly for Roy and Sylvia, trying to navigate this cancer treatment and his health and all that's gone wrong. And others of you have some, some scary health, from our perspective, scary health situations or your work situation. And just talking to a couple of our teachers this week and just finding all that's involved for you in so much more than normal on this. Or you healthcare workers who have got to be so incredibly drained as this just keeps going on and policies change or, or whatever that is. And your, your battle, so many in our church family are, are wider reach of recovery. That whole sense that how are you going to make that? And so here are some of, what, some of the things Paul says. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And you know, sometimes we do things here, and you've come here a while, you know that we'll say, okay, let's just do a, hey, let's just be open with everyone. I don't want to do that today, but I know there's a bunch of you that are saying, hey, I, I love you, Pastor Jeff. I'm just not feeling that. With w- where my life is right now, where things are going on, where things are going on in my wider family. Rejoice always, you know, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. That just doesn't resonate with me. And so I feel like we've got we've to unpack that. Not so much what does that mean. I mean, how much do I need to explain what rejoice always means? Or pray without ceasing? Or, you know, give thanks in all circumstances? You didn't need to go to seminary to understand what that means. We do need to unpack it to how do you do that in times that aren't necessarily happy? Because that was the Thessalonian situation. Paul was driven out of there. When we say that our series is God, the gospel in three weeks, we keep coming back to that's as long as they let him stay there before they drove him out of town. And these Thessalonians, they're stuck living there and, and trying to live openly for Jesus when nobody wants them to be open. So, so that's what, what we're looking at. And so here are, these, here are these three statements that he makes. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything. And let's look at, let's look at how do you do that? How do you do that in, in this moment? What is it about that? Rejoice always, I do just want to say, that's a celebration word, isn't it? It's not telling you to be happy or even to be joyful. He's telling you to rejoice. That's a celebration 
word. I got on ESPN quickly this morning, and one of the things I wanted to see was who won the World Series game, and there's a huge p- picture on ESPN's homepage of, of the Rays all celebrating. That's rejoicing. That's not just I'm feeling happy today. There's rejoicing in what that is. If you, if you know Paul's life, you're surprised how often he talks about joy or rejoicing because of, of what goes on in his life or what he says to them about rejoicing. But yet he points that was their early story back in chapter one. Look at what he says in chapter one and verse six. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction. That's their context. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia that you found in the gospel something that was so good that there was a joy that overcame all the affliction. So they've got affliction, they're being open-eyed. I mean, we all know some Christians that are just always so happy. It's not real joy, I feel like. It's this manufactured happiness with some people that you feel like, I'm not really sure you're in touch with what's going on. You know those people? Yeah. This is not at all what Paul's talking about. With the Thessalonians, it was that this, what we have found in the gospel is so good that it's okay that we're suffering these things. I was reading about a, a, an Indian uh, brother or sister in Christ over the summer in, in the, the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and they were saying, what we found in Jesus was better than anything we could ever hope for in Hinduism. So why would we ever think of going back? And this person just living in, in such persecution and such pressure what I found, what, what good thing I have is so good. Look what he says in chapter three and verse nine. He, said, he says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy we feel for your sake before our God. You know that, so for Paul, here's what's going on in my life. It's kind of crazy, but what's going on in your life? That just is so good that it's okay what's going on in my life which is kind of one of the things about that, that sense of rejoice always, it, that if you're going to rejoice always, it's going to be because you're okay with it not being about you. There's people who seems their life, their life verse or their life mantra is, but what about me? What about me? When do I get some good stuff? Or when do I get things to go right in my life? That if your life is, if you've decided to wrap your life around something that's bigger than you, or, or like we've just watched, you know, Tyler and Crystal do before you or what Max shared with us. If our lives are dedicated to God and what he's doing in the world, then there's this sense of, okay, God, if, if I can be a part of that, if I can be part of something big, if I can be part of you bringing people to Jesus so their forever is changed or of you doing something in someone's life so there's a breakthrough, if I can be a part of that, it's okay. Amen. The other stuff will be okay. There'll be a joy tapped into that that's bigger than just what's happening. Will my car start today? Will, will I, you know, my, the people at work, will they be good? I'm talking about your work. The people at my work are always good. Yeah, so, yeah. I gotta be careful in those things, yeah. So, Paul, when he talks about joy, he's living in the real world. Second Corinthians, and we've talked about that. It's such a church that gave him such a And yet he says to them, I'm acting with great boldness towards you. He's kind of confronting things that, between them. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all of our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. 
because it's not just about what's happening in my life. It, it's, that's not the only thing that's important there. You're tied to something bigger than you are, more important than just, you, the, the, than just your life. It goes beyond those things. And so he says to the, to the Corinthians earlier in chapter four, he says, but we have this treasure we have this treasure of, of Christ living in us. We have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. He's just letting them know this, this is normal life for me. I love the, the Philip's paraphrase. He says in that last one, we're knocked down, we're just not knocked out. So he keeps going, he says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. The goal is not for my life to be easy and happy. The goal of my life is to showcase the power of Jesus no matter what's going on in my life. And so a few verses later, He'll say, so we don't lose heart. You know, even though these are, the, these are the realities of his life, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he gives you perspective how he looks at all these troubles he has. It's going to be in 2 Corinthians. He's going to list out how many times he's been beaten, how many times he's been shipwrecked, what his you know, resume would be. And he says, for this light and mo- momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. That's where he's locked in. Something that's bigger than himself, something that's beyond himself. That's where he goes so that he can say something like rejoice always. So to that person in the church in Thessalonica or the person in the room or the person on live stream that's saying, you gotta be kidding me. If you knew my situation, you would not be telling me to rejoice. Your situation is nowhere near as bad as Paul's was or as, as long as Paul's was. In my own quiet time this week, I'm reading through, I was reading through the book of Acts. I read through Paul's salvation moment again. And, and what God says, the moment that he's saved, he says to another man, you go talk to him. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Think about that. You know, you, you come to faith in Jesus. For me, as 14, I, I went forward in a church service. That's what they did that day. And they had me talk to this guy, this young, young man. Can you imagine if he says to me, Jeff, this is such a good thing that you've done. You've, you want to invite Jesus into my life? Yeah, that's what I want to do. I don't understand it all. I just know I want to go to heaven and Jesus needs to be my savior. That's great. Let's pray. Just before we pray, I want to tell you one thing. You are going to suffer a lot for him. Just want to bless you. Let's pray. You know? <laughs> but that's what Paul's word was. You know, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer. That's the man that's saying, rejoice always. That's a man who writes to the church in Philippi, another place he was driven out of after they beat him. And he writes the letter to them and he says, you know, rejoice in chapter three. And then he says again in chapter four, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. That's one of his prison letters. So yeah, if you could get past, but if you knew my situation, because as we saying, God knows your situation. He knows his plan. He understands what he's doing there. And there's a joy that you can experience in the midst of that. 
if you can cooperate with what is it the Holy Spirit's trying to do in you through this or what is it that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in the name of Jesus around you because of that. That's where he was trying to, to tie them into. These kind of troubles that we go through, they reveal just how important spiritual growth is to us. Okay, God does these things so we grow in Jesus. If we want to grow in him, if we want to know him, remember Paul said, I want to know him in the sufferings. If that's a priority to us, then, then that'll be revealed in our suffering. James says, James, we think, is the earliest, earliest thing written in the New Testament. So for him to say in the first couple of verses of his letter, hey, trials of all kinds, lets you know what was, the, what was life like in those days. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just cooperate with what it is God's trying to do. Don't bail. Don't run. Don't do what you need to do to make it go away or to make it end. Just cooperate with it and be steadfast. Because in being steadfast, you'll see the full effect and God will perfect what he's trying to do in you. Peter, Peter writes his first letter. It's all about suffering. He says to, to those new believers, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. See, if the goal for you is I want to grow, I want to grow as a believer, I want to grow in Jesus, I want to see my faith mature, then this is going to be part of what God uses in your life. And if you run from them, you, you won't change for that. I was just burdened this week as we, we've been praying, you know, last Wednesday was our first Wednesday, trying to lean in on that, just... I want to say this carefully, just that there are some of us who are struggling with the same things you were struggling with when I first came here. There are things you would love God to change about you that you were hoping God would change about you a long time ago. And he gives you, I believe, he constantly loops us, our lives around to have these moments to finally break out of that or deal with that or grow past that. And we're just, afraid or distracted or whatever that is we don't we don't allow that so here it is you need to count those moments joy you need to cooperate with them you know those trials they reveal just how important spiritual growth is to us you know if your life is tied to the purposes of Jesus the more your life is tied to the purposes of Jesus the less you will struggle with joy the less your life is tied to the purposes of Jesus, the more you will struggle with joy. That's really, that's going to be a reality in it. You see that in the apostles in chapter 5. They've been arrested. They've already been arrested before. They're arrested. They're threatened. They left the presence of the council. They've been in court rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were locked in on this thing God is allowing us to participate in what he's doing. This is his purpose. And so we're not struggling with joy. Or Jesus, Jesus would say to us in, um, yeah, Jesus would say to us in John 16, the night before he's rejected 
and humiliated and, and suffers an injustice in those court systems and then tortured and killed the night before that, see, also, you have sorrow now. But I'll see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy, oh, your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about the resurrection. Amen. That when you see me, and when you know that I'm alive, and when you know that I'm at work, then nobody's going to take that joy away from you. You can give it away, but nobody will take it away from you. Hey, one thing to notice in Thessalonians is this is a command. Rejoice always. It's a command. Warren Wiersbe, he's such a good writer. He says, you know, this is a command. Of course, every church has its doubting Thomas and its gloomy Gus. And we've got to throw in negative Nancy because she finds her way in as well. Every church has that. There are people in the room now, I understand what you're saying. It just, whatever that is, that's you trading your joy away. That's, that's really what that is. I told, I told some of you in the past, just we had a man in our church in Maine who was a retired pastor who was such a proud pessimist. He said to me one time, I'm a young, I'm a young pastor. I don't know anything. I'm just... I, I had that, I would say, uh, sometimes that numb happiness. I was just so happy to be there and convinced God was going to do great things and everybody's going to celebrate that. And why would we ever have a problem? That's kind of where I was. And so Mr. Gowdy says to me, he says, well, I'm a pessimist, you know. And I said, Mr. Gowdy, I've heard that. And he said, you know what a pessimist is? And I said, what's that? He said, it's an optimist with experience. <laughs> So that's kind of where he, he just lived. I mean, my heart went out to him. You just lived in such negativity. I remember him saying to me, you know, he pastored, you know, faithful. God, I don't know, I guess he's a godly man. Everything else about him was godly. He pastored in these little main towns, you know, for much of his life. I remember him saying to me one time, I can count on one hand the number of people that came to faith in Jesus in my ministry. And I remember thinking, remember last thing I was talking about, I, I have always got a sarcastic, sarcastic answer ready. <laughs> but I remember thinking, Mr. Gowdy, I might have a clue on the, what might that a challenge for people <laughs> when you were there, you know? Every church has them. But that's not who you are. For you, those of you that say, you know, I just, I'll, I struggle with negativity. Good, struggle with it and put it behind you because that's not the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And those of you who just see, but this season is just so overwhelming, then you've got to dig deeper into to the Spirit. You've got to dig deeper into the Scripture. You've got to dig deeper into the body of Christ. One thing that just, I think, a couple of years ago really struggled, these letters are written to church families, and we take these commands personally. Like this is God's personal letter to you. It's not. It's his personal letter to us. And if we're going to be obedient, it's because we obey these verses as an us. So, so he says to them, you know, rejoice, you know, rejoice always. It's just letting truth overtake your troubles. I, I don't want to say just like, come on, no big deal. It's a huge deal for some of you with the things that are going on. But it's not elusive. It's not elusive. There's that forever coming, that forever moment that will be worth everything. Isn't that what Jesus says? I'm going to see you. But then eventually, he says, I'm going to wipe every tear from your eye away, and heaven is going to be a place of such incredible, eternal joy. You know, 
Those, those of you, you women who have been through childbirth, what an awful experience. And so many of our husband's stories made it so much worse for you. <laughs> so really sorry about that again, yeah. <laughs> I was telling Alexis, I think that was this week, a little bit about when Joy was born and some of the things I did. And I think, I think the word of the Lord she had for me was, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, but then you have this baby and it's all worth it. It's so worthwhile, this baby that you have. Or you go through, those of your students, you go through finals exam, and that's a terrible week. But then you've passed, and you're on to your next semester, you graduate. Or, or our little grandchildren, Belle and Luke had their flu shots a few weeks ago, and Joey and Mark didn't tell them until they were out driving, to the, driving to the place, and they get their shots. That's a terrible moment. But minutes later, all Luke could talk about was this lollipop. <laughs> and he wanted to get home and show Sadie the lollipop. And I think we hear in the background, you can show Sadie, you just can't share it with her. You know, but the lollipop. If, you, if we can just wrap our minds around that, that, we have these light and momentary troubles. But on the other side of them, on the other side of them is something we're going to be so glad we stayed steadfast through. So he says, he says to them, you know, rejoice always. He says to us, rejoice always. Are you going to make it through whatever you're going through? You will if you don't lose your joy, if you continue to rejoice. You will make it if you can pray without ceasing. He's not saying, and we know this, he's not saying just to pray on and on and on and on. You know, we've all been in prayer services where you think, wow, is this, this is long. I've, I gotta tell you, I've been praying sometimes and I've had the Holy Spirit say that to me. You're just going on here. You know, one time I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, you keep going, I've finished. Literally, I felt, I heard that in my head. You know, I <laughs> think. What do you do with that, you know? You, well, you stop. That's what you do. So obviously, he's not saying that. He's talking about this, this connection, that you have a constant connection and awareness with God, that at a moment, you can just bring, something comes to mind, someone comes to mind. You know, tonight, you're later this afternoon, you're watching the Patriots, all of a sudden, Roy comes to mind. You know how much he loves the Patriots, and you just, God, I just want to pray for Roy. I pray you just strengthen him. That's praying without ceasing. You're just constantly connected. You're constantly aware of how dependent upon God you are. You're in a conversation, and suddenly you realize, God, you know, hey, if there's something you want me to say in this conversation, give that to me. That's, that's praying without ceasing. It just goes on and on. You're, you're constantly in touch. You know, D.L. Moody, was, he was such a simple person. I think I was telling you recently, he only had a sixth-grade education, so he has all these great great lines that are not polished. But Moody said one time, some people's prayers, they need to be, they need to be uh, cut, on, cut on each end and set on fire in the middle. <laughs> they're, just, they're long and there's nothing to them. So Paul is just telling us, just stay connected. Just stay connected. See what Ephesians says when it talks about just this constant bond that we have. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints. Do you notice this in that verse? He's covering all the bases for us. You just stay connected in prayer. Those of you that wrestle with, but I just don't, pr- I just don't pray well. That's like saying you don't talk to your children well. You just, you know, you're just talking, you're just communicating what's in your heart. There is no well. 
The well is usually people that, people that pray professionally, but God would much rather just hear you pray what you're praying. I remember hearing uh, Howard Hendricks tape one time and he was talking about this new guy that, that was saved that you know, he led to Christ and then he got him to come to a Bible study and they're going around you know, saying, why don't people pray? And so he nudged, he nudged this new believer and this guy says, you know, hello God, this is Bob. Uh, I just came to meet you the other night over at the Johnson's house on you know, whatever, Main Street, 355 Main Street. Last Thursday night, it was about 7.30. I just want to tell you, I'm really thankful that you saved me and I love you, amen. We're all sitting there laughing like, yeah, God knows, he was there, he remembers, he knows where the house is. But you think, how much did God love to hear that? Just pure, not worried about anybody else, just you and me. So that sense that, that so many people wrestle with, I, don't pray, I just don't pray well. I would never go to prayer meeting because I don't know how to pray. I don't want to embarrass myself. Usually those people, you challenge us more than anyone else because you just get up there and you just pour it out. You know, you just say it the way you're feeling it, which is the way that it's supposed to, supposed to be. The best way to cultivate joy is staying in touch with God through prayer. Because as you pray, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of his promises, of his nearness. You're going to sense, sometimes when you pray, you're just going to sense you're in his presence. But don't use that as a gauge. You know, I think the evil one can give us these feelings sometimes just so that we'll get disheartened when we don't feel that. What is it, what is it that makes us not pray? Some of you that maybe you used to be super faithful to praying or to prayer meeting and you kind of dropped off. What gets in the way there? Remember Jesus told us not to stop praying? He tells a story about the persistent widow. It says in Luke 18, he told them a story so that they would pray and not lose heart. Isn't that some, one of the reasons we just, we just kind of give up on prayer? We'd never say that that way. You just prayed for something so long and it didn't change. Or you just watch someone hurt or struggle and nothing, nothing changed. And so it just somehow it just eroded and maybe God is, in it, is, is interested in you or God can't do this or God's not doing that kind of stuff anymore. Those things that, that just erode how that goes. Sometimes it's because we lose heart. Sometimes who doesn't do this? You get through the situation, you get through the trouble and it's almost like, okay, God, thank you. I can take over now. I'm safe now. You know, and so clearly the intensity would go down because we're not in this intense moment but the prayer the prayer should continue and sometimes the lack of prayer is a re- really reveals that you're more self-dependent than, than God-dependent. So Paul tells them, you keep on praying because if there's one thing you need in Thessalonica, it's to keep praying. There's one thing we need. Sometimes it's just sin in your life and so it's kind of hard to talk to, to God when you know he, he has something he wants to talk to you about. And so just deal with the sin. Just deal with it. You know, ask him to help you deal with it. Or, or often in America, isn't it just we get so busy, we're just distracted? Who doesn't have good intentions to pray? And then you go to bed and you think, man, I'm exhausted. I should have prayed. You know, one thing I find is Satan, he is so happy to help me sit here in a room like this or, or wherever and just say, you know what, I can't right now. You know what, later on, maybe I'll pray. I'll find a chunk of time when I get home. You know, it's, Cindy's doing this walking thing on YouTube. Maybe while she does that, I'll pray. 
Satan is all about patting me on the back for that because he's going to meet me when Cindy does her walking thing with something else to do. So those things you have of, well, I'll pray later, we need to really unpack how much of that is the evil one just trying to distract us from the moment right now. So we get busy. And, and there's some people, you know, that just say, yeah, it's just not for me. I just, it's just not me. But you're, I think when people say that, it's because you're coming up with the way somebody prays and you're trying to fit yourself into that instead of just praying the way you pray and being at peace that that's you and that, that God's okay with that. So here again, we look at the verse. It's a command. Pray without ceasing. And it's written to a church. Because one of the things Acts keeps telling us and giving us a snapshot is a church that came together and prayed. So, and then he gives us this, this third one, to give thanks in all circumstances. And again, not in the same way that we said, we're not rejoicing like somebody that's not in touch with their life. You're not giving thanks just to God. I'm so grateful that, you know, that I've been laid off. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you very much. Unless you tie that to something bigger than yourself, it's going to be hollow and you're going to feel like you're pretending. But if you can tie it to something bigger than yourself, God, clearly God, as we're saying, you're not worried about this. Clearly you have a purpose in this and you have plans for my good because that's your heart for me is to provide for me, to, to lead me, to show your power through me. So I want to thank you that you're doing this. Do you notice the adverbs that are here or the things? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Boy, he's making sure that, that we don't try to find any little loophole or open a doorway to sneak out of this. It's just everything. Always unceasing. You know, I, I can't pray right now in this moment. You can pray in any moment. In the middle of a conversation, God, just help me know what to say. You know, whatever that is. There, how, how, however that goes. Someone said that Thanksgiving is the Christian's native emotion. Boy, I like that, that that's just our native response for all that's been done to us. There used to be this, this Christian song that called it would, it would Have Been Enough. If you would have just died on the cross and given us salvation, that would have been enough. You know, if we had to grind our way through the rest of life until we got to heaven, that would have been enough. But are you telling me You've done everything else for us, that you give the Holy Spirit to us, that you allow us to participate in what you're doing, that you're, you're never going to leave us or forsake us, that you're going to give us a church family to go through this with. You're going to give us all of that. And then these things are going to come up and, and they'll be bumping our road, but, but we don't have to be overwhelmed by that. It's just like joy. It's tied to something that's, that's bigger, than, bigger than you are. I'm so thankful of that. For some of you, you know, your moment, this moment in your life is, you know, even though I'm so thankful. Let's go back to the chapter one and just, just watch him do this for them. In chapter one, he says in verse two, we give thanks to God always for all of you. So, you know, you go through the letter and you find that he's done everything he's telling them to do. The Paul isn't giving, one of those people gives you advice that he wouldn't take. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Now he's going to tell them why. Why are you so thankful for us? He says in verse 3, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why else? 
Because in verse four, we know that he's chosen you. Well, why else? In verse five, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Well, why else? Because in verse six, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Why else? In verse eight, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith is gone, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So we don't need to know anything about it. See, even though, look at what God's doing in you. And because you're allowing God to do this in you, look at the wide influence you're having. That's why you give thanks. You're not necessarily giving thanks, God, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm sick. But I'm thankful for what you can do with the fact that I'm sick. Help me to cooperate with you so that you can do what you do. Help me not to latch on to that and, and make it who I am or, you know, people that say, well, this is just kind of who I am. No, it's not. It, it's God who wants to change you, but he wants to make known that he's changing you for, for part of what that's doing. And so here's his, here's his goodbye to them. Here's his, his parting words. Hey, I'm about to go, but I want to just let you know you need to rejoice always. You need to pray without ceasing. You need to give thanks in everything. Those are command. All three of those are God's will. When he says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you, he's not just saying that about the give thanks. He's saying it to all three of them. Are you walking in God's will? Here's a, here's a place to test that out. But let me, let me make sure you do that in light of your church relationship. See, am I rejoicing always in the context of my church family? Am I praying without ceasing for and with my church? Am I giving thanks because I know what God's doing in other people's lives? It's a church. These are church things. All three of them show the importance of Scripture. It will be so much easier for you to rejoice always if you know the promises of God. It'll be so much easier for you to pray without ceasing if you know what he's committed to or if you have a truth you can grab onto. One of the things I've kind of just stumbled into in my own prayer life recently is just saying, God, hey, you do, I'm asking you to do this. You've already done it before. Remember when we did this? This was a situation that's kind of like it, God. I've just found scripture to be helpful to me in, in praying that way. In everything, give thanks. If you, the more you know the scripture, the more you're going, to have, you're going to think of verses that encourage you to give thanks. Or what, what is it about God that you can count on in that? The more, the more you pray, the more prayer is part of your life, the more you're going to be able to do all three of these. The more significant being a part of a church family is in your, your life and in your journey, the more you're going to be able to do all three of these things. All three show why, why the, Christian, the balanced Christian life is so important. And all three will help you to know, this is, hey, my life is where God needs it to be. These are my final instructions to you. Rejoice. You're in a hard spot, but you just rejoice. You keep praying without ceasing, and you give thanks in everything. You know, the Old Testament prophets, they would understand the need for some of this. And so some of you love these verses out of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is trying to understand why God isn't doing anything and then why God is going to do what he's going to do. So at the end of the, the, end of the book, he says, well, even if the fig tree should not blossom or the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the, tree, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, so he's having a bad day. If you're a farmer, if you're a farmer, it doesn't get any worse than that. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Why? 
God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and makes me tread on my high places. Even if, this is where I'm, this is where I'm tying myself to. He refers to the little devotion that someone did, Hind's Feet in High Places. That's a great, great quiet time book to walk through. Why, what does God do in trouble? So let me pray over you, and team's going to lead us in a, in a closing song. Father, I'm so aware of really a number of people's situations right now that naturally would cause them to do anything but rejoice or that would make it difficult to pray or certainly to find things to be thankful for. But you, who you are and what you're doing, the promise of what you're going to do and can do, I just pray that that would be lifted up in their sight be lifted up in their hearts. I pray, oh God, that you would use us, that we would be a faithful church body just to come alongside, to speak into, to pray for, to be sensitive, whatever it is you're calling for us to be as a body. God, I cry out to you for those in the church family who need to allow us to be a body, who need to allow people to get close enough to walk through, walk through something with them or to speak to them. I pray that you would be the one who takes down walls, the one who, who holds people in the room when so often, as soon as, as soon as we finish that song, they're gone. I pray you'd help us to be church family. We want to experience joy, God. Talk about three things that could be a testimony in this time in our country. To be people that have found true joy people that praying with confidence and people in the midst of, of such a mess who found more to be thankful about. Let us be those people so that more people will come to know you, Jesus. So we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. And through the promise of the Holy Spirit, we can do all things. That's right. Yeah. Yes and amen.
Praise you, God. We thank you for the work that you're doing, the work that you're going to continue to do. We worship you.
Amen. Amen. Hey, one of the things that keeps me awake sometimes is what people are going through and nobody knows. So just having preached that, Pastor Ted and I are just going to stay up here. If you'd like, like us just to pray over you, we're so glad to do that. You know, or you could find somebody nearby and just ask them to pray for you. Let's be a church that just takes this on. It's just part of our normal following of Jesus. So we're here if you need us. God bless you as you greet each other. Have a great week serving the Lord. Tyler and Crystal, you want to make sure you say hello to them or family. Good. God bless you. Yeah.